The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. See that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the eldest son. Afterward, as you know, when he wanted to inherit this blessing, he was rejected. He could bring about no change of mind, though he sought the blessing with tears. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. My greatest concern for you is that you will come to the day of judgment and you will be rejected. The scripture tells us that there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, pleading, and there will be no way to change God's mind. I don't want you to be rejected. I don't want you to lose your eternal salvation. It is of the utmost importance that you understand and walk in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, the problem is there are many, many gospels floating around America, and most of them are false gospels. They are another gospel. They are not the gospel of holiness They're not the gospel that transforms a man or a woman and makes them righteous. So we're going to look very carefully today at how this work of justification actually functions. We've got to pull it down out of the intellectual realm and look at it in terms of, okay, How do I walk this out? What will it look like? What will it smell like? How will I know if I'm in the process or if I've somehow taken a comfortable road, as Christian talks about in Pilgrim's Progress, where John Bunyan writes that they saw a comfortable path. It wasn't as rough as the narrow way, and so they took that, and they ended up in the castle with the giant despair, and they almost lost their lives. How do we know if we've taken that comfortable path? What does this actually look like? This is so vital, so important, because countless numbers of you who listen, if you do not adhere to the Scripture and gain an understanding of how this actually works in real life, you will come to the end and you will say, but 
But Jesus, I was a member of the family. I'm a part of the family here. I'm a son. And there are those today who say, if you're a son, you cannot lose your blessing. But Esau lost his blessing, and he was a part of the family. And finally, he was cut off. I don't want you to be cut off. So let's look at the reality of this walk of justification by faith. Let's go first to Romans, the third chapter. Romans, the third chapter. I urge you, jot down these scriptures we're going to look at. Go back and review them and ask Jesus to reveal to your heart the truth. Romans, the third chapter. I'll begin with verse 23. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. Verse 28, For we maintain that a man is justified, should be through faith, not by faith, apart from observing the law. Verse 31, Do we then nullify the law by this faith? Not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. So let's be very clear. The new covenant is not a kinder, gentler, softer version of the old covenant. The call to righteousness is the same in both, except in the new covenant, the call to righteousness is even steeper. Jesus said that if you look at a woman and you lust after her, you've already committed adultery. Jesus said that if you're angry with your brother, you've committed murder. You've broken the law. Now, it's not without reason that the Apostle Paul, as he opens the book of Romans, immediately begins to speak in chapter 1 with the reason he's writing this material. It is to call people, this is verse 5, Romans 1, verse 5, to call people from among all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. So if I teach a faith that does not result in obedience, I'm not teaching the faith of Scripture, because the faith of Scripture results in a life of obedience to Jesus. Now in verse 16, he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power, the dynamite, dunamis power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Now, I want to be very clear with you. You will never hear me teach that you must do works 
in order to be saved. We are not saved by works of the law. We are saved by faith. But then we have to be very careful and identify what we mean by faith and what we mean by justification. What does this scripture mean when it uses these terms? It begins in verse 18. This is Romans 1, verse 18. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. In other words, they hinder the work of God. He's not allowed in their heart to reveal to them the depth of their sin. Many of you listening to this broadcast today came to Jesus Christ by a road other than the gospel of Jesus. Many of you came and you were born as preemies, which in effect means you died and you now have religion, but you don't have a living, dynamic faith that's growing because you don't understand what that is. You've never been taught. Today, we're going to look carefully at that. The place we must begin, the place we must begin is to understand that the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all godlessness, against all wickedness, and against all men or women who refuse to hear the judgment of God against their life. Please understand, all men are lost. That's where we all begin this journey. If you remember the story of Pilgrim, he was reading this book, and he fell under deep conviction, and he had this great pack on his back that was consciousness of sin that was on his back. On the other hand, Pliable started the journey, but he had no awareness of his sin. He only wanted the benefits. How can you be saved if you have never been lost? How can you be saved if you've never been lost? You can't be. There has to be in the heart of a Christian an understanding, an experiential understanding of the wrath of God that is against them. They have to recognize how they have hindered the work of God in their heart. Some of you today, as I speak to you, have no conscious awareness of sin. Oh, you know you're doing some things wrong, and, and okay, I'll do better. I'll try harder. As one man said to me, Pastor, I'm going to try harder. Well, trying harder doesn't work. There has to be a, an in-depth breaking down of the inner 
human mind and heart to recognize our utter sinfulness before God. He is righteous. He is holy. He is unlike the children of Adam. And so Paul goes to great lengths in this first chapter, the second chapter, and the third chapter of Romans to talk about the exceeding wickedness of man's heart. The problem comes when a person comes to Jesus and they're taught positional righteousness. Positional righteousness. With positional righteousness, the person is never aware of the depth of their sin and degradation. They can skip all of that law stuff. They can just say, yes, I'll accept Jesus, but will Jesus accept you? No. Not until some other things happen in your heart. You can become very religious, but still go to hell. In this Romans 3 passage, he says in verse 23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. If you're not aware of the depth of your sin, if you're not aware of how far you have fallen short of the glory of God, how can you be saved? Now, as I shared yesterday, if you begin to get a concept of how far you've fallen, of the true nature of your heart, of the bitterness, of the lust, of the anger, of the of the rebellion, of the lying, the cheating, the stealing. If any of you are involved in any of that, jealousy, envy, ambition, self-defense, if any of you are involved in that, it's because you have never understood the desperate position you have before God. And you must come to terms with the holiness of God, the absolute purity of God, who will not allow sin into his kingdom, either now or in the future. Now he says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the immediate human response, as I shared yesterday, was to immediately begin to try to put lipstick on the pig. Doesn't work. You must come to a place where you recognize your absolute inability to be righteous before God. Now, if you're Conscience is quickly salved by what is called positional righteousness. You will immediately lose your way in the kingdom of God, and you will leave the presence of Jesus. I don't think it's possible to believe in positional righteousness and to be saved, because it short-circuits the work of the gospel in a man's heart. Now let me tell you what positional righteousness is. Verse 24, And are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. The word justified, again, in way of review, 
has historically been taught by the Reformers to mean the pardon of all sin. And many today teach that Jesus finished his work of redemption at the cross. That at the cross, he forgave all of your past, present, and future sins. And that when you receive Jesus, you are saved. That you can't lose your salvation. It's the teaching that God has now covered you and you continue to be in sin. You continue to walk in rebellion against God. You continue to not follow him, but you're part of the family, so they're including you in those who are saved. And it's called positional righteousness. It's simply You are in a position where God has covered you and saved you, but he has not made you righteous. And the lie of this is that when Jesus looks at you, he doesn't see you, he sees himself. And so you're now in a secure position. Now, if you'll just open your heart and mind to the Holy Spirit, you'll quickly understand that this is a lie. Can't be true. It's not true. The word justified literally means to be rendered righteous, dikasune, to be rendered righteous, to be made innocent. And the word justification in its original form was not positional righteousness. It was an old English word, and it meant to be made righteous. Justification in the old English meant to be made righteous. Now it says freely, to be made righteous freely. There is a work that God did at the cross through his son Jesus that provided for all sins, past, present, and future, to be forgiven. But he did not forgive present and past sins in a completed way. Past sins are forgiven. They're erased. But now I live in the present. For that sin to be forgiven, it must access the blood of Jesus Christ at the cross. And I do that by repenting. To repent means that I stop acting in a lawless manner. Sin is lawlessness. So repentance means that I must go back. And the breaking of the law must stop. I must be given a new power. I must be given a new righteousness. Righteousness cannot come by the law. There must be a new way 
to gain that righteousness. That righteousness is from what Jesus Christ did at the cross. He made provision for you and for me to have all of our past sins forgiven and to have victory over all present and future sin. He gave us that gift of righteousness. It's not a shell game. It's real righteousness. Now, if you look with me in, once more, the book of Romans, the 11th chapter, I recognize he's addressing here his position on the Jewish people who were broken off from the branch or from the from the tree or the vine. Let me just read it to you, and then I'd like to highlight a part for you. Romans 11, verse 17. If some of the branches have been broken off, and you, though a wild olive shoot, have been grafted in among the others, and now share in the nourishing uh, nourishing sap from the olive root, do not boast over those branches. If you do consider this, you do not support the root, but the root supports you. You will say then, branches were broken off so that I could be grafted in. Granted, but they were broken off because of unbelief, and you stand by faith. Do not be arrogant, but be afraid. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. Consider, therefore, the kindness and sternness of God, sternness to those who fell, but kindness to you provided that you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you also will be cut off. So he's saying, look, yes, the Jewish people, because of their unbelief in Jesus, were broken off of the olive tree. And then you who have come to Jesus Christ have been cut off from darkness. You've been cut off from evil. You've been cut off from everything that nourished your life in the flesh. And you have been grafted into that olive tree. You've been grafted into Jesus Christ. Now, we can agree with that intellectually, because it's in the Word. But what I want to know is, at a very practical level now, how do we walk this out? And Jesus, before he was crucified, took great pains to explain to us exactly how this was going to work. Let's look at it. In the book of John, the Gospel of John, chapter 15, it says, I am the vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes 
So, we are grafted in, according to Paul, we are grafted in, we are cut off from every source of nourishment in this world. We are cut off from old associations, from old activities, from old entertainments. We are cut off from these things in order to be grafted into that olive tree, or as John 15 describes it, that branch, that that vine. So let's go back now. A person begins to hear about Jesus. And as they do not block the work of the Holy Spirit in their heart, they begin to have a great sense of their sin. They begin to grieve over that sin because the Holy Spirit is bringing conviction to their hearts. then the good news of the gospel can more perfectly be explained to them that now Jesus Christ is willing to forgive their sins and he is willing to make them righteous so that they no longer continue to walk in their sin. Now, the problem comes if I in the flesh, as I'm convicted by the law, begin to work very hard to improve myself. And then I'm told that Jesus loves me just the way I am. It's unconditional love. I'm on my way to heaven, but I'm never going to be able to stop sinning that I am positionally now in Christ and he will no longer count any sin against me. I now am free to live my life. I'm now free to indulge in my love of professional sports. I'm free to indulge even in pornography. Some pastors are even saying the mark of the beast is not a physical mark on a man or woman. It's actually a spiritual mark So don't worry, take the mark, the physical mark, so that you can survive. God wants you to survive. You can't ever lose your salvation. They're actually teaching this. Hideous lies. So this positional righteousness now tells me that don't worry about your sin. You'll only lose a little bit of fellowship with God. You're saved. You can never be lost. Now, I do grant that some teach that if you turn in gross sin away from the Lord, it will be evidence that you were never saved. The truth is, most Christians in America have never been saved. 
because the work of the Holy Spirit was aborted in their life so that they never really looked at their sin. And they never really felt the need, the desperate, desperate need of a Savior. They just drifted into having a Savior. Somebody invited them to a meeting. They went. They enjoyed the music. They enjoyed everything that was going on. They made an altar call, and they invited people to come forward who would like to receive this wonderful gift of salvation. Well, what's not to love about that? Of course I'm going to take any gift you're going to give me. That's not conversion to Christ. That's lying, cheating, trying to get into heaven the the side door, and there is no side door. The side door leads to hell. So this person has now come to Jesus with a deep sense of their need. If you have not ever had a deep sense of your brokenness and your need, that's where you must begin with Jesus. And you must ask him to reveal the true nature of your heart and covenant with him that you will not resist the Holy Spirit. You will not resist the coming of the Holy Spirit to unveil the fullness of wickedness in your heart. As he begins to do that, then the teaching has value that Jesus Christ will forgive all of your past sins, and he'll bring you into a wonderful, loving, living relationship with him. And now, at conversion, at crucifixion, at being born from above, he grants to you the power to no longer walk in sin. If sin sweeps you away time after time after time, it is a very clear sign that you have never been born from above and are, in fact, not a true Christian. A true Christian is given the power to say no to their sin. As they pray, as they read the word, as they fellowship with the body of Christ, as they're strengthened in him, something very interesting begins to take place. And we need to spend a few minutes and talk about this. John 15, I am the true vine. My father is the gardener. Cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Well, what is the fruit that he wants? Clearly, in the scripture, the fruit of righteousness. Fruit of righteousness. But if you claim that you don't need the fruit of righteousness, that that Jesus' righteousness now belongs to you, and, and he's covered you so that when he looks at you, he doesn't see you, he sees himself. You're not bearing any fruit. And the Father is going to come and cut you off. Because there's no righteousness in your life. Then it says, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. 
word prune literally means he purifies. Now, you know, if you've done anything with gardening at all, that when a blight comes on a plant, you can't spray it with a poison and get rid of it. You simply have to cut the blight out. Cut it off. Now, what Jesus is saying, that now as you come to him, and you are changed into a new creature, now the Father is going to step into your life by the power of the Holy Spirit, and he is going to begin to purify your life. Already all known sin has been laid aside. All sin of rebellion has been removed from your heart. This is done when a person is born again. So now this person who is born again, the Father wants to grow him up and make him very fruitful by the presence of the Holy Spirit. And so according to Jesus' words, the Father, who is the gardener, comes and he begins to cut off or prune the blighted areas of your life. And this will require, frankly, great suffering on your part. Is going to allow all manner of suffering to come upon you. And he brings that suffering because we learn obedience through suffering and we grow up, we mature suffering. We are called to lay our life down for the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's not an easy task. I've been in the pruning of God for many, many, many years. And in that pruning in the wilderness, I've learned many lessons about the Lord Jesus Christ. For example, I've learned that he will send me in a very specific direction of ministry. Or work. And then it's like he goes on a vacation, and I'm left on my own. And I used to so rebel against that. I'd cry out to the Lord, and I'd say, God, where have you gone? And I would charge on with what he has asked me to do. Of course, it would end up in catastrophic loss and breakdown. I've learned that when Jesus calls me to do something, he wants me to come back to him and say, Lord, I have no ability to do this. I am willing. I'm eager to do your will and your bidding. But I don't have the ability to pay for it. I don't have the ability to make it happen. Lord, I'm going to wait upon you now. And I'm going to trust that you will show me exactly how to do this. You'll show me who to talk with. Remember, Jesus said, I don't do anything on my own. The words I speak are the words the Father has given me to speak. If that was so with Jesus, how much more should that be so with you and with me? 
We Christians have gotten in such difficulty and such horrendous trouble by going out and doing what we think God wanted us to do, never having waited on him for direction and resource. One of the lessons I've learned. Another lesson that I've learned is that God is always late. Now, people will say, no, God is not always late. Yes, he is. If you know God, you know that he is always late by my timing. The bill is due. Lenny's not there. How do I pay? The bill is due for radio. I invite all of you to give and to contribute tithes and offerings as God moves in your heart. And I wait on the Lord. For I know this is Jesus-sponsored radio. It's not listener-sponsored radio. It's Jesus-sponsored radio. And I know that I must stay in my prayer closet. I know I must fast. I must wait on God to move in the hearts of people. They would respond at the call of the Holy Spirit. God must step into time and space and history or the broadcast will not continue on air. Last month, I faced that reality. And I finally said to the Lord, Lord, if you're finished with radio and Pilgrim's Progress, it's okay, Lord. I only want to do what you want me to do. I only want to go where you call me to go. I'm not going to walk in my own strength. I'm not going to walk in my own power. I'm going to walk by faith. And I'm going to wait on the Lord. But oh, the pain and the anguish. As the bill comes due and you're not able to pay it. Young Christian I spoke with this morning and his new bride had to take a new job and he's not making very much money. Saying, Pastor, I don't know how we're going to make it. I don't have the money. I'm not earning enough money and my wife is not earning enough money to cover our our basic necessities. We can cover the bills and then have no money for food. He's in the discipline of the Lord. He's made choices and decisions in the past that created these bills. And now he's faced with the reality that his job has changed. And I warned him before he took those steps to incur those debts that he should not do that, that he should wait on God, and he was unwilling to wait on God. So he went ahead as we often have, all of us. And now he's being pruned by the Holy Spirit, by the Father. He's having branches purified. He's he's being dealt with in a way that God matures all men and all women. He begins to lower the Gethsemane stone on our lives. 
And in the crushing of that Gethsemane stone, we learn humility and obedience and a wait on the Lord and to not be filled with our own ideas and our own plans and our own pride. We are being made holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. So you come to Jesus, you're converted to Jesus Christ. You receive Jesus as your Lord and your Savior. Your past sins are wiped out. They're forgiven. But the love of God is not unconditional. As you saw with Esau. As you see with King Saul. He ended up at a witch's table. The love of God is not unconditional. It's very conditional. You can be cut off. Some of you have already been cut off and you don't know it. And that's what terrifies me for you. You have no living fire in your heart. Pardon me. You have no living fire in your heart. You have no passion for Jesus. You just go along. Go to the grocery store, go take a walk, go have dinner with friends, go to church. Wonderful American life. That's not the life of salvation. The life of salvation is when all of these things are cut off from us. Well, those things that gave us nurturance. Now, let me be very specific. Some of you gain a great deal of pleasure and nurturance out of the professional sports. Some of you spend hours on the Internet. Some of you love the novels. Some of you love the television. You have your work, your job. You gain nurturance from many different places, and it comforts your heart. It allows you to feel like life is worth living. If you're going to be brought into Jesus Christ, All of these things will be cut off by the Holy Spirit. He'll say to you, turn the television off. He'll say to you, come and spend time and read the Word. He'll say all kinds of things in terms of direction as you read the Scriptures and as you pray, as you meditate, He will give you direction in that still, small voice. And if you do not respond to that still, small voice, you are resisting the work of God in your heart. And as you resist the work of God in your heart, you harden your heart. 
And so you have the positional theology that says, I'm saved, I'm on my way to heaven, I'm okay, and it's all a deception. You're not okay. You're not on your way to heaven. Because you resist the work of the Holy Spirit in your heart. Jesus goes on, he says, The Father is the gardener. Cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, he purifies, so that it will be even more fruitful. You're already clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Remain in me. I will remain in you. Peter did not remain in him. The other disciples did not remain in Jesus. They fled. They deserted. Peter denied even knew Jesus. Is that a problem? Yes. And he had to repent. He wept. He had to be reinstated by Jesus. Says, no branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. What does he mean, remain in me? Resting in him. Trusting him as he does this work of pruning in your life. Trusting that Jesus is going to carry you through, and he's going to make you into the person he wants you to be, and that is a righteous man, righteous woman, a righteous boy or girl. He says, I am the vine, and you are the branches. If a man remains in me, and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Do you know what the prayer, Mr. Producer's talking to me? Uh, do you know what the prayer request is? Thank you. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and are burned. Now he's talking about a person who has come to Jesus, who has been grafted into the olive tree or the grapevine. And that person refuses to go through the process of being made holy. No, we won't take that kind of call now. But I would ask all of you who are listening, this dear man is asking for 
a great deal of love and kindness from God to support him and his family, from finances through all kinds of things. And I would ask, would you just please pray for him? He needs our prayers. What he needs more than anything else, though, is to understand his true condition before God. And then to cry out to Jesus. To be grafted in. And if he's already done that, this dear brother, needs to ask Jesus to make him holy not to in any way resist the work of the Holy Spirit in his heart. Calling, asking for things and things that would comfort and provide. Those things are secondary. First and foremost is that I not be cut off from God that the Father would not look at my life and see that there is no fruit of righteousness in me, that in fact I trust Jesus with everything I am and everything I have, and I've made a determination that I will not turn aside from Jesus, that I will not turn aside from following after him, regardless of how hard the walk is. I will not turn aside from the journey. I will not resort to bitterness of heart. I will not resort anger. I will not leave my Father. I will not leave Jesus. I will not turn away from them. I will trust them, and I will obey the promptings of the Holy Spirit and I will endure whatever I must endure, and I will do so with joy and gladness. Because Jesus Christ, at the cross, made full provision for your salvation. He made provision for your sin to be wiped out He made provision for you to be grafted into the vine. He made provision for you to be made holy, to be fully sanctified and grown up and matured. At the cross, Jesus provided everything necessary for godliness and holy living. But we must access that precious blood and we do so by not resisting the work of the Holy Spirit and the conviction of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. We must make a determination that we will not turn back to darkness. And if we sin, First John tells us, that Jesus will intercede with the Father on our behalf, and he will forgive us for our sin, and he will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He will purify us. 
from all unrighteousness. What John 15 is saying he will do for us as well. Prune us. He will cut from our lives everything that stands in the way of the work of Jesus in our life. And today. Loves you. He died to save you. Salvation is a free gift by faith that will cost you everything. Let's pray. Almighty God, come by the power of your Holy Spirit and make plain to us your will. Don't let us resist the work of the Holy Spirit in any manner, but cause us to turn toward you, Jesus, and allow you to complete the work that you have begun in us. Lord, work out in our hearts all that you desire. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. God bless you, brother, sister. Dig deep into the Word. Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal His truth to your heart. God bless you. I'll talk to you soon. Now unto Him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless before the presence of His glory. 